Thank you with the reading of God's Word. Tonight we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and that will just be the beginning. We'll be all over the rest of the book of Genesis, the rest of the evening. So have your fingers ready. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto the land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Tonight's Bible study sermon is entitled, This Abraham, A Life of Faith. Let's pray. Tonight, Lord, we ask that you help us to be able to settle our minds and our hearts. Lord, everybody comes in with um, a lot of uh, things about life on their mind. Uh, Lord, work and doctor's visits and um, relationship struggles outside of here. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be able to set that to the side and be able to focus on your word tonight. Lord, may it encourage us. May it help us. Lord, I pray our hearts would be malleable and pliable to, um, Lord, uh, growth where you'd have us to grow. So help us as we understand your word a little bit better. Impress it on our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Most everyone here this evening has attended church plenty enough to have heard a sermon or two on the importance of faith in the Christian's life. I know I've preached a couple of sermons even recently on this topic of faith. Um, I am curious though, if a lost person were to ask you to explain to them what faith is, would you have a good answer for them? If they said, what is faith? What does that mean to you? Would you be able to explain it to them? Let me explain faith this way by contrasting it up against knowledge tonight, if I could. Knowledge is based on experienced facts. Experienced facts. Okay? Let me illustrate it this way. Well, let me, let me give you, uh, let me give you one more definition here, one more idea here, and then I'll, I'll get into the illustrating. Faith is based both on experienced facts and second-hand facts. That is what someone trustworthy says or promises. What someone trustworthy says or promises. Okay, let me illustrate it this way. You know this room exists because you are in it right now. Right? Uh, that is knowledge. I told the story uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was in Chick-fil-A in North Haven and heard three young boys arguing behind me. Two of them claimed to be Christians. The other one claimed to be an agnostic. And I got up and went over and uh, inserted myself in the conversation. The two boys that claimed to be Christians, I don't think they're saved. Uh, they're Catholic. Searching. They're searching. The other boy was just eating him for lunch uh, with his uh, belief in the Big Bang Theory and everything else. So for about an hour, I sat down and talked to the three boys. And what I found is that I was trying to take the abstract or that which is um, uh, could be viewed as the abstract. And I was trying to make it concrete through faith. And he was trying to take everything that's an absolute or concrete and turn it into the abstract. At one point, he picked up the tract that I had handed him and he said, how do I really even know that this is a piece of paper? Maybe it isn't. And I said to him, I said, listen, we're going in opposite directions here. I said, uh, I'm trying to take faith and get you to believe in something and make it concrete in your life. 
And you're trying to take things that are obviously concrete and change them into something that's, uh, that's, uh, that's not uh, an absolute. And uh, I heard someone say one time, and I didn't think of this or I would have used it, uh, I would have asked them this question, do you believe that there are absolutes? He probably would have said no, and I would have said to him, are you absolutely sure there are no absolutes? So, um, but, um, but in all seriousness, pray for that young boy. His name's Ian, and I've done a lot of praying for him. Pray he'll get saved. Uh, but we know this room exists because we're sitting in it right now. That is knowledge. If someone who you felt was credible were to say to you, there is a room in this church that is filled with furniture that is made out of chocolate. Now again, someone that is very credible. If they were to tell you that, then you would either have to choose whether you believed them or not. If there was a room in the church filled with furniture made out of chocolate with all these ladies here, I don't think that furniture would last very long. Amen? Um, but faith, when it comes to faith, you've got to choose whether or not you want to believe what someone else is telling you that you have deemed as credible. For instance, how many of you know that George Washington existed? Did you meet him? Have you ever seen an actual picture of him? There are pictures. There may be some, but not many. There are drawings. There are drawings. Do you know what that is? That is a mixture of knowledge what you've read in a textbook, but more, it's faith. It's faith. Do you know that the continent of Africa exists? If you've not been to it, then you're taking someone else's word for it who you deem is credible. As credible. Okay? Um, Abraham is a great example of someone who chose to live his life completely by faith. Completely by faith. Now, he did have some slip-ups along the way. It was not God's plan for Ishmael to be born. Okay, that was a big mistake. But by and large, Abraham showed great faith throughout his life. Abraham journeyed from Ur to Haran. That was about an 800-mile trip. And then from Haran to Canaan was an additional 500 miles. Imagine you're sitting there in your wealthy home, because Abraham was a wealthy man, and God comes to you and says, I want you to pick up, and I want you to leave, and I want you to go. And you say, okay, Lord, I'm in. Where do we go? And he says, I'm not going to tell you. So load the U-Haul, or the camels, right? And, 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 and where am I going? Well, I'll, I'll tell you where to go when you start going. But where am I going to go? Well, I'll, I'll tell you when you've arrived. Now, let me just remind you, Abraham was wealthy. Abraham was respected. And Abraham was a family man. A family man. Uh, very connected. Now, he didn't have any children, but very connected in with his family there. But Abraham did not allow any of these things to get in his way when it came to his obedience to the one that he supremely trusted. God said to him, get up and go, and I'm going to take care of you. And Abraham, or Abram, in Genesis 12, when he picked up and left, 
He did not question God, at least in his actions. He just got up and he did it. Let me just talk quickly about the importance of obedience in the equation of faith. You can say that you have strong faith in God. But if your obedience to God isn't there, then your faith means zilch. It means nothing. Uh, that passage in James talks about faith without works is dead. That is not talking about uh, work salvation. But let me ask you this. You bow your head and you put your faith in the finished work on the cross. And I'll just insert this about that verse. Uh, it does involve salvation in this sense. It's your faith in His work. That brings salvation. If his work wasn't there, you could put faith in a work that didn't happen all you want. You wouldn't get saved. But it's your faith in his work that brings about salvation. And then it's your faith in your work uh, that God calls you to do that brings about positive things. If you're not willing to put your work out there and have faith while you do it, then nothing good is going to come from that. So Abraham could have sat in his rocking chair there in his house there in early Chaldees and said, I'm a man of faith. God said, I get up and go. And he could have said, but I'm a man of faith. I don't have to get up and go. And God would have said to Abraham, you will go because you are a man of faith. There are times where it doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense to obey what God's leading you to do. But if God's leading you to do, faith will drive you to do it. I propose this evening that Abraham lived a fulfilled and happy life because he chose to follow the path that God had laid out for his life. Can I say tonight, can I propose this evening that you will only live a happy and fulfilled life if you choose to follow the path that God has already laid out for your life. Somebody might say, well, I've already messed my life up to this point. I can't go where God would have had me go. And I would say to you that God has a new plan for your life that will be fulfilled and happy. And you've got to live your life by faith. You've got to do that. Every morning you've got to wake up and say, Lord, what is it that you'd have me wear? What is it that you'd have me listen to? What is it that you'd have me look at? What is it? Where, where would you have me go? Who would you have me talk to? What would you have me say? And as you follow the Lord's plan that He has laid out for you for that day, you will put your head on the pillow knowing that you are content and happy in the will of God. Tonight, let's look at Abraham's faith and our faith from five different perspectives. Number one, if you've got a prayer bulletin there on the back, it's an outline you can fill out as we go along here. Number one, notice the promises God made to Abraham. Now, I have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. I've got eight promises here I found in the book of Genesis, and I just did not have enough space unless I wanted to make the font size like six. Uh, then you'd have to get a magnifying glass out to read it. So if you, can, if you want to write these down in your notes, and you can write really tiny, and you can get it all in there, that's great. But let me give you eight, um, eight through eight here. I think they're going to be up on the screen. I believe, uh, but uh, let me give you eight through eight here, uh, promises that God made to Abraham. There might be others, but these are the eight that I found in my studies. Letter A, notice his children would become a great nation. His children would become a great nation. Look down to Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says there, And I will make of thee, of thee, a great nation. Now, when God tells um, uh, Abraham this, Sarah doesn't have any babies. 
So that means that Sarah is going to have to have some babies or God's going to have to remove Sarah out of the scene and give Abraham another wife so that she, so that he can have some children. So he promised Abraham that if he would obey by faith that he would make of him or that his children would become a great nation. Let her be. He would be a great man who would bless others. Look at Genesis chapter 12. In verse 2 again, it says there, And I will make thee a great nation. You'll notice the rest of the verse. And I will bless thee. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. How many people lived on planet earth back when Abraham lived? And we don't know any of their names. But we know Abraham's name. You know why? Because he obeyed by faith. And God chose to make of him a great nation and to make him his name Great, and, uh, and and not only that, but he would bless others because of that. And thou shalt be a blessing. I would love that God would come down to me, and, and God doesn't speak to us audibly, but if I lived back in Bible times, I can't think of anything better than God coming down to me and saying that you will be a blessing to others in your future. You know, that ought to be what you ought to live to do, is be a blessing to everybody around you. Let her see Notice that uh, another promise that God gave to Abraham. God would bless those who blessed him. Look down at verse 3 of Genesis 12. And I will bless them that bless thee. I stated this a, a couple weeks ago and it bears repeating here. I don't like getting into politics from the pulpit. Uh, I don't like touching the topic. There are times where politics and the Bible, they are both in the same space. And I am not going to shy away from preaching the Bible. And so if politics or, or politics tries to put their fingers into biblical truths and tries to meddle with those, I'm going to tell them to get their hands off. Amen? I don't think the Supreme Court needs to be trying to change the definition of marriage because they didn't create marriage. I don't think the Supreme Court uh, needs to be getting involved in telling me whether or not I can preach the Bible. They didn't write the Bible. They didn't make me. They can't tell me I can't preach it. That's not their business. They need to get their hands off if they try to do that. Uh, but I will say this because I feel like this is an area where politics and religion kind of uh, come together. And that is that uh, I do believe one of the reasons why God has not punished this country for all of the abortions that have been uh, performed. I mean, I'm sure there has been punishment on some levels. But when I say punishment, I mean total annihilation, which is what our country deserves, by the way, for all the abortions. But one of the reasons why I think maybe God has been merciful to us is because we have been a friend to Israel. Right there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it says, I will bless them that bless thee. Um, there is a movement in our country to be anti-Semitic. And in that I say, be careful. Be careful. You are all, we are as a country, we're already not on God, God's good side with all of the killing of these babies and now there's this movement to help people die peaceably by giving them drugs. Be careful. That's a slippery slope to euthanasia. Be very careful with that. And you get to a place where you're no longer Israel's friend. Well, now all bets are off. There's no reason why God wouldn't just rain his fire down on us and destroy us as a country. Or let us just let us have our consequences. Um, I will always be a proponent of supporting Israel. Always. Always. And, and that is something that needs to happen. Letter, letter D there, the fourth, 
Um, hopefully, I should have wrote numbers down next to these letters because I'm not smart enough to remember which letter corresponds with which number. But letter D there, God would curse his enemies. Speaking of Abraham, the promises God made to Abraham, God would curse his enemies. Look back at Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. You want to know why there is so much poverty and so much pain and so much death and so much disorder in all those Palestinian countries around Israel? Because they're Israel's enemy. And as long as they're Israel's enemy, they will never succeed. Because God said he would curse those that curse Israel. You want to join up, and I'm not talking about you all, but to all the anti-Semitic people out there that want to join up with the anti-Israel crowd, be very careful. You're going to be bringing down God's cursings, God's cursings very heavily upon you. Uh, notice there letter E. All nations would be blessed by one of his descendants. All nations would be blessed by one of his descendants. Look back at Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Letter F, or this would be, I guess, number 6. His descendants would own the land of Canaan. Look down at verses 6 and 7. And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanites uh, was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who prepared unto him. Now, there is uh, there are people out there that would say, How would God allow the Israelites so many years later? We all know the story. Uh, Abraham Isaac has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob, whose name gets changed to Israel. There's 12 sons. Joseph gets sold into, into slavery. Just We just did, covered that in my family devotions last night and enjoyed that. But gets uh, or enjoyed reading the Bible together, gets sold into slavery, uh, uh, rises to the top, brings all of his family uh, uh, to Egypt. Uh, they're there, they become slaves, and then uh, several years later, uh, several generations later, they get to where they're too big, and they end up coming out through the leadership of Moses, and they march across the desert. Forty years later, Joshua leads them in, and they wipe out the enemies of the Lord. And there are people that would say, how dare God allow them to just kill all those people? And in that I'd say that you've got to be careful there because God owns all the land of the earth. God gets to dictate who lives where. If God says that your time is up on that piece of land, your time's up on that piece of land. God looked down at all the wickedness of those people who had rejected God out and out and rejected God and he looked at many instances of incest and, and, and children that were malformed and all the wickedness that went on. And God commanded the Israelites to kill those people and take that land back. To take this long term, there's going to be a day where Jesus comes back. We all come back on horses with him. And he opens his mouth and he destroys the enemies of the world. He's going to sit on a throne in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that's on earth right now. He's going to rule and reign. And guess what? Israel's going to get that, that Gaza Strip. And there won't be any argument over it. Uh, they'll have all that Canaan land back. And so it will all belong uh, to the country of Israel. And God will rule, or uh, the, God in the form of Jesus will rule and reign uh, over this world. The next one there we see, this would be letter G. God would protect Abraham like a shield. Turn over to Genesis chapter 15. 
and verse 1. The Bible says there, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now stop and think this through. Uh, uh, Abraham's traveling from one place to the next. He's, in, he's encountering people he's never met, cultures he doesn't know, uh, people who have all kinds of weird and odd things, and he's uh, eating food in some cases he's probably not familiar with, and uh, coming up on people who uh, could be very hostile toward him, and God looks at Abram and says, I am thy shield. I'm there to protect you. How comforting that must have been to Abraham. Or Abram in this case. Later would be changed to Abraham. Uh, letter H. And the eighth one we see here is he and Sarah would have a son. Look at Genesis chapter 18 and verse 10. Genesis chapter 18. The Bible says there, And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah... Thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, you might say, well, God gives lots of people children, and what's the big deal? Well, they were old folks back then. Sarah had gotten into the time of life where she was not supposed to have any more babies. And God miraculously would open up her womb and would give them a baby, uh, named, and they would name him Isaac. And Isaac, as I said earlier, would have Esau and Jacob. And Jacob's name would later be changed to Israel. And that's what we're familiar with all this time uh, later, all these years later. So we see the promises uh, that God gave to Abraham. Number two, look with me at the position Abraham maintained. Hold your place there in Genesis, if you will, and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read from verse 8 down through verse 11. We're going to talk about the life of faith that Abraham lived. Now, let me just say this while you're turning over there about the book of Hebrews, or rather about the chapter there in Hebrews chapter 11. All these people that are listed in this chapter, uh, they're put in uh, what uh, has been dubbed or called the Hall of Faith. Uh, God puts them in there. One thing I want to point out is that none of these people are perfect. Sunday night we talked about... Um, the fiery furnace that purifies our faith and that in all of our hearts there is faith or belief and unbelief and that the fire of trials is meant to bring unbelief to the surface so that it can be taken away and our faith can be made more pure. More pure. Abraham had an incredibly pure faith to start with but it wasn't perfect. There were times where Abraham faltered along the way. But all in all, Abraham finished strong. Let me, let me make one other observation before I read that. And that is this with the book of uh, with the Hebrews chapter 11. None of these people in this chapter were perfect. Um, Rahab's mentioned. We know about her uh, immoralities and indiscretions. Uh, many, many people are mentioned, and, and some of them committed murder. Um, some of them committed adultery. But one thing they all have in common is that they all finished strong. Let me say today that there's going to be times in your life where you just don't do what's right. 
You might make a mistake along the way. You might make some big mistakes along the way. Don't let that define you. You keep yourself up, you dust yourself off, and you finish your course strong. And God is not going to judge your life based on the mistake. He's going to judge your life based on what you did after those mistakes, such as the case with Abraham. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. The Bible says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, uh, called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, uh, the heirs with him of the same prophet, uh, promise. For he looked for a city uh, which hath foundations, who, whose builders, builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Remember in the introduction how we define faith? Faith is both based on both experienced facts and second-hand facts. That is, when someone trustworthy says or promises. Now, Abraham completely and totally trusted God. Let me say tonight that yes, Abraham, uh, uh, Abraham uh, knew that God existed because he had had a verbal conversation with God but everyone else uh, that God promised, everything else that God promised to him was not material. Yes, God and Abraham had these uh, uh, voice conversations where Abraham heard the voice of God, but uh, God, Abraham had no guarantee other than God telling him, I'm going to give you these things. Abraham, by faith, believed God. He believed that God would make a great nation uh, of his children, children he didn't even have yet. Uh, Abraham, uh, by faith, believed God would bless his friends and would curse his enemies. Abraham, by faith, believed God that his descendants would own the land of Canaan. By faith, believed that, that God uh, would, uh, uh, would would allow Sarah to have a son. Uh, by faith, believed God that all nations would be blessed by one of his children. By faith, believed God uh, that, that God would protect him like a shield. And by faith, believed God that God would make him into a great man that would bless others. However, none of this would have been possible if Abraham would not have obeyed God's commands as he went along. He had to obey as he went along. Notice in the story how God slowly unpackaged these blessings. Slowly unpackaged. As Abraham demonstrated more faith, God gave Abraham just a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. God's promises went from vague in Genesis 12 to more and more specific and bigger and better as they went along. Let me give you an example. In Genesis 12, when they left Ur for Haran, Sarah's womb was closed. God did not promise to open Sarah's womb in Genesis 12. Again, a vague promise. I will bless your children. Now, it was common in that day to have multiple wives. Not biblical, but it was common. Um, very easily, Sarah could have died and Abraham could have gotten remarried. In fact, Abraham did get remarried after Sarah died. And had children with that, that lady, if I remember the story right. Uh, 
but um, but um, God did not promise to open Sarah's womb in Genesis 12. But what did Abraham do? He got up and he obeyed. And then in Genesis chapter 15, three chapters later, God promises Abraham that he and Sarah will have a baby. Had Abraham not gotten up and obeyed in Genesis chapter 12, there is a very good chance Sarah would have never had Isaac. There's a very good chance Sarah would have never had any children. But because he obeyed in chapter 12, and he took Sarah, and he got up and left, Sarai at the time, he got up and left, uh, because he obeyed, God began to unpackage these blessings. I'm scared to death that I'll get to heaven one day, and God will say to me, Richard, if you had just obeyed me when I led you, I would have given you so much more than I gave you. I mean, you got some good stuff along the way, but it could have been so much better. But your faith was small. Boy, I don't want to hear God say that to me. When God is working in my heart, that He wants me to step out in faith and do something, then I need to step out in faith and do it. God might burden my heart and say, you need to increase your giving to missions. And guess what I need to do? I can look at my, my, my ledger sheet with my budget and I can say, I just really don't have it right now. And if you don't have it, God's not moving, then I'd say don't increase. But if you're looking at it and you're saying it's tight, and the Lord's priding that heart, poking that heart and saying, you need to increase, then you need to increase. And you need to watch God supply. You need to watch God begin to unfold more and more and more blessings in your life. Let me just reiterate this. Abraham and Sarah weren't perfect. They had times in their life where they doubted. They had times in their life where that unbelief surfaced to the top. You think about the time where they go twice. They go into a city and Abraham says, She's my sister. What? If I was Sarah, I would have smacked him. They were, uh, I think, half-brother and sister. But uh, they were married. So their faith wasn't always perfect. But God looked at the canon, the, the entirety, rather, of their faith and saw that, yes, God was able to purify and make that better. And as Abraham demonstrated more faith, look what, look what he got out of it. Tonight I'm here to tell you, Maintain a position of faith. Number three, we see the pardon. The pardon that follows faith. You're there in Hebrews. Look with me in Romans chapter 3. Should just be a few books back to the left there in your Bibles. Romans chapter 3 and verse 22. Now we all know verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um... If you've been going to church any length of time, then you, you memorized that one a long time ago. If you haven't gotten memorized yet, it's a good verse to memorize. It'll keep you humble. Amen. It'll help you to help others to know the very first important thing about getting saved, and that is that they're lost. But what about verses 22 and 24? Let me just say this about the book of Romans. If you're wanting to study a book to better understand your salvation, the book of Romans is a great book. Oh, it's so rich in the doctrine of salvation. Look at me in verse 22. 
even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, notice that, by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 explains, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Here in Romans chapter 3, we see talking about faith in verse 22 and talking about grace in verse 24. Remember that faith always involves our obedience. Always. A sinner must come to grips of his sin and what his sin has done to Christ. He must then repent of his sin and ask God for his forgiveness. The pardon that follows grace. Number four, and lastly here, is the picture of faith that Abraham painted. The picture of faith that Abraham painted. Take, take your Bibles back into Genesis with me. Genesis chapter 22. You get into chapter 22, you're getting down toward the very end of Abraham's life. In fact, if you study this out, you dig deep, you find that Abraham most likely would have been 130 years old when this took place, and Isaac would have been 30 years old. Isaac was not some small child. Now, uh, keep that in mind as we read this here. Look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22. It says there, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. You see the compliance there. Verse 2, and he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said, uh, said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? I believe there was probably a long pause between verses 7 and 8. And Abraham said, My son... Jehovah-Jireh, the God that provides. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Let's look, let's look back through this again. Now we see the picture of faith that Abraham painted. Uh, before we get back into looking in the passage, let me just make this statement. I don't think Abraham was ready for this in Genesis 12. God had to run Abraham through a whole series of tests and trials to purify his faith. But by Genesis 22, most of the unbelief or the impurities had been taken out of Abraham's heart. 
He was nearing the end of his life. Definitely in the fourth quarter of his life. And God said, okay, this is about as pure as I can get Abraham's heart without doing something extreme. I have something extreme in mind because I want to draw a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Let me point some things out to you here that are interesting in Genesis chapter 22. Some things you can take away. By the way, you can take Genesis 22 and if you're careful, you can share this passage, these eight verses, uh, and even beyond with uh, someone who's a Jew and show them right out of the Old Testament how to be saved. Because it's all right here, the person of Jesus. Look at me in verse number uh, 2. And he said, Take now thy son, notice this, thine only son Isaac. Was Isaac Abraham's only son? No, he wasn't. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But wait a minute. The Bible tells us that we are the sons of God and believe on his name. You see here that Jesus was God's only begotten son, and this was his only son that he had had with Sarah. A parallel drawn between God's love for Jesus as the only begotten son in Abraham's love for Isaac, his only son, legitimate son through his marriage with Sarah. We see here that uh, he was told to take his only son, whom thou lovest. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, what? Begotten, begotten son. Referring to the son that God loved. He was told to take him to the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. In my series where we covered the five major offerings that were performed on the brazen altar there in the, uh, in the tabernacle, we talked about how that Jesus Christ is our burnt offering. Isaac was to be taken and offered up to be a burnt offering. Yet another picture of Jesus here in Genesis, 20, uh, Genesis chapter 22. If you look at the geography, the mountains of Moriah are in the same uh, area where Jesus would have been led outside of Jerusalem to be crucified. We don't know exactly which mountain that Isaac was led up to or God had led Abraham to, but I'll state my opinion here. I believe it was probably the same mountain that Jesus would be offered up on uh, some, uh, se some several thousand years later. Uh, but uh, he's taken there, and then uh, Abraham takes Isaac, his only son, with Sarah, and he lays wood on his back. He has to carry the wood up the mountain, just like Jesus had to carry the tree on his back, the cross on his back. Obviously had the help of Simon, but had to carry that up, up the hill there, maybe the same hill that Jesus walked we see in verse 4, it says, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes. The significance of the three days that Jesus laid in the grave before he rose again, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and stealing the keys so that we could have eternal life. We see in verse number 5 that uh, they left behind the ass or the donkey, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey or an ass and leaving that behind. The age of Isaac, again, I mentioned earlier, being 30 years old. Jesus being just a few years older himself. Isaac, at 30 years old, had to willingly lay himself down on that altar. 
when I heard this taught as a little boy in Sunday school, I always imagined Isaac being tied up with a rope where he couldn't move. They picked him up with all the dead weight, and Abraham lays him up there and, and, uh, and raises the knife in the air, and Isaac's screaming, Aah! And the angel comes and, and traumatically stops the knife, but Isaac laid himself down willingly. Can you imagine a 130-year-old man trying to chase down a 30-year-old man? I don't think that would have gone so well. I don't. Th- I think the 30-year-old man would have would have prevailed. But Isaac willingly laid his life down there because he trusted his father, just like Jesus trusted his father when he said, "Father, not my will, but thine be done." I wonder. I wonder if God didn't look down from heaven sitting right next to Jesus while he watched all this take place and thought to himself, son, that's going to be you. I wonder if a tear didn't just trickle down the face of God as he thought about his son who would do that. Look down at verses 13 and 14 of Genesis 22. The Bible says that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold... Behind him, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Just like that ram was the substitute for Isaac, Jesus is the substitute for you and I. The fifth point tonight, and quickly, is the promises that God makes to all believers. The Bible is filled with both unconditional and conditional promises. Shortly after I arrived, we covered Matthew chapter 5, and we talked about the conditional promises there. If you do this, then I will do that. Let me just say this evening, in closing, as our faith grows, our obedience to God has to grow with it. The two are interconnected. The better you get at obeying God, the easier it will be for you to have faith in God. And the greater your faith is in God, the easier it is for you to obey the Bible and as the Bible is laid out. Let me just say tonight, just as God unpackaged blessings for Abraham as his faith grew, God will unpackage his blessings in your life if you'll choose to trust Him and you'll choose to obey Him. Can I ask you this tonight? Has your faith grown? Or is it stagnant? Are you walking by faith? Or are you walking by sight? Where are we going, God? God says to Abram, I know where we're going, but you don't need to know that right now. Just trust me. Just trust me. Tonight I'd say to you, just trust him. Just trust him. You have some un, you, you have some uncertainties in your life right now. Maybe the road ahead's kind of bleak and dark, or you just can't really see how it's going to work. Obey God and trust him. Let him unpackage his blessings in your life. Let's have our eyes bowed and I suppose this evening. Lord, I pray tonight you